With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk and Rewatch is here. That's right. I am Ken Napsock and we are beginning this journey on Casterly Talk to rewatch every episode of Game of Thrones one week at a time. We're going to be here a bit and we are going to dig into the themes, the lessons and the moments that make this show and this story a part of our hearts and our souls. And yes, this is a focus on HBO's Game of Thrones. Doesn't mean books and stuff won't get mentioned, but there's a purpose behind that. We'll explain in a second. But before we do that, very happy to have returning to this show, fates and schedules aligning. It's so hard to get things filmed and shot and recorded, but we're all trying to make ends meet and scramble and and just, well, survive with what's going on. I am very happy to bring back to the show today, Rachel Cushing. Hey, Rachel, how are you? How are you? I'm very good. Excited to get back to one of my all-time faves. I love, love, love this idea so much. Going back to the beginning, watching it one episode at a time, breaking it down with themes, knowing what we know, how it ended, and going back to the beginning, and things will resonate differently. There's just, you know... There's endless things to talk about Game of Thrones anyway, but I really like this angle. Yeah, yeah. No, that's kind of the purpose uh, to, to now that we're all wrapped up, you know, with, with this version of the story, uh, to go back and really see. And already in this episode, as we go into the pilot today, we're, we're looking at Winter is Coming. I, I, I saw something and I was like, I, that wouldn't have meant anything to me if I hadn't seen the final episode of season eight. Uh, yeah. and, and that's what I love here. Uh, and you know what? Yeah, uh, Rachel and Lon and Andres and Thomas uh, are, are all part of Cashly Talk. Just the lockdown has um, made it so that most of the episodes are, are me locked in, uh, in my st- small studio talking to myself and you, the audience. But um, uh, it's, it's my intention to bring them and others onto the show. Some people I haven't talked Game of Thrones with and, and bring them on because we have a lot of episodes and a lot of people react to episodes. In fact, this is why I talk about the fates line, Rachel. You reached out. We're like, hey, I get some, some schedule uh, opens, uh, openings are coming up. I'd love to get back on Casually Talk. I pitched this to you and you're like, can I talk about the pilot? <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, being that I was one of the first ones you uh, told about this plan, I was like, well, if that's the case, and I'm going to put a pin in a couple episodes <laughs> that I very much want to talk about. Um, and the pilot was one of them because pilots are notoriously difficult. And the history behind this pilot was that they shot it and then they reshot nearly the entire thing um, because there's so much you have to set up and so much that you have to do in order to grab an audience, but also make sense yeah. of an absolutely sprawling story. So um, the fact that it it did its job and then some uh, is going to be fun to talk about. Yeah, and, and we can't not talk about that. I mean, you have to talk about the the, the reshoots of it. It's legendary, and it, it comes up from time to time again. It even kind of came up in a negative light and then last year with a lot of other big kind of uh, social issues going on around the show, around the creators, around HBO, all those kind of things, which I get. Um, but it's baked into the conversation about this. Um, and I'll start here, Rich, too, with the rewatch to all those listening on Casterly Talk, or maybe uh, folks who are just finding uh, me or rediscovering re- Casterly Talk or Daily Thrones, which it used to be, and, and I'm rebroadcasting these on YouTube. The purpose of this rewatch is to really dive into the themes and the moments and the lessons of the show. Uh, we will talk about foreshadowing. We will talk about predictions that went awry and things and decisions that were made that maybe we didn't agree with. That will be part of this discussion, but I really want to dig into the themes so we can analyze why this really impacted us on a, a large level. And if the story was in your heart already from the books or the books came a little bit later, um, this is like a Star Wars, like a Lord of the Rings. It pulls us in and I want to analyze why because I really think that goes to the themes. And and, and, and Rachel, I, I know you are one that this story was already in your heart before the show even hit. Yeah, I mean, putting myself back in those shoes, you know, 10, almost 10 years ago, you know, I was anticipating, but also very leery about mm. a show that was being made based on a supposedly unadaptable series. I mean, that's what Martin set out to do um, because of past, you know, uh, issues with Hollywood and, and, and general things along those lines. So, you know, he, and I, and I'd read four books up until that point and yeah, they felt unadaptable. They felt too right. sprawling. They felt too big. Like, how can we possibly have this many characters, this many disparate storylines, because they're all happening separate of each other for so long. It takes yeah seasons and books for characters to start to come together. It just felt so insurmountable. Mm. But at the same time, my fantasy loving heart wanted it to be surmountable. I wanted them to get it right. And as a Lord of the Rings fan, you know, knowing that Jackson managed to do it with those movies made me think maybe an HBO that, Mm. that also big, maybe like they're, they're capable of throwing the money and the production value and to get the right people. And the casting started coming out and Sean Bean was Ned Stark. us like in, (laughs) you know, so like it was a a very, very high sense of anticipation, but also a little fear because I love the book so much. So look, I I don't, I don't blame you at all. I think, I think if I would have been a book reader at that point, I would have been probably almost pre snooty. And I'm not saying about plot or anything, but just like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, and I, I'm a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan, and I do love the movie adaptation of that, but even that, that could be, and there's a TV show in the works for that. And I'm, I'm already kind of like arms crossed. You, exactly. You better, <laughs> I want this to work, but I'm not sure if it will. Uh, a little context too at the time. It's uh, 2011 when the pilot, the first pilot, 2009, I believe the shot, and yeah, they shot, reshot, what, 90% of it. Uh, HBO, we always go to Sopranos and the big shows, uh, you know, that are there for that, but True Blood was kind of the one. 
that was the show that was people were talking about. And this was kind of following on that on the shoulders of True Blood. Yeah, because I think they were hoping to get genre fans outside of the genre that they were mm. putting out there. So True Blood being sort of gothic horror romance actually attracted people who weren't normally attracted to that mm. uh, genre. And so it made an, made, managed to make that genre appealing to a broader group of people. And so the same thing needed to happen with Game of Thrones, because while there's a lot of us fantasy nerds, there's not probably quite enough to justify the budget for a show yeah. like that that could potentially go on for, at that point, they didn't know how many seasons. So yeah. it's it really interesting that, you know, um, these days, uh, in a more modern sense, genre storytelling has taken kind of a, 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 a bigger role in the industry because they're realizing that, you can do the genre, but you can do certain things with it that can appeal to a broader audience. Right. And, you know, and that's just smart. Um, and they, they were ready to, to put everything they had behind it. And yeah. uh, it worked for them. It worked. Yeah, a little gamble, a little gamble. A little less budget, season one and two. Weren't sure. This, uh, we'll throw out some uh, figures and stats here. Original air date, April 17th, 2011. Director Tim Van Patten, now, uh, I think it was a Tom McCarthy was the pilot director. He gets consulting producer credit. Uh, writers, of course, Dave Benioff and D.B. Weiss. This is uh, They come out swinging with this, and they were learning on the fly. They've uh, admitted they kind of talked about it then, but now it's more in focus. Cinematographer uh, Alik uh, Sakharov, uh, and the editing was done by Oral Nori Oti. I always want to highlight that because, Rachel, as many people know, you are a very talented editor by trade. A lot of people might know you for your movie trivia skills, but I know you first as an editor. Uh, uh, that is uh, that is key to how this show was put together. They edit the editors a lot of pressure on them to take a low, not low budget, but just a less than what it would become budgeted show and make it seem bigger. Yeah, I mean editors are important in any show because they are responsible for point of view, they're responsible for the rhythm, the pacing, and you know just the general feel. And in this show in particular, maybe not quite as much in the pilot, but to an extent. We did jump around. We're in th four different locations across the, the the pilot, and that was a hallmark of the show, this all jumping around. So it's the kind of thing of like, how long can we spend in this location with these characters before people start to feel antsy about what's happening over here, which storylines are grabbing people at different times. Um, and it, it, it just would feel like a lot, I think, to the uh, the editors to make sure that they were focusing where they needed to focus for the exact right right amount of time before moving on to the next thing. Um, and that's part of the writing as well. Um, but I'm glad you highlighted the cinematographer too, because, you know, there's a few broad um, establishing type shots, you know, with the, yeah. the mats and, and, the, and the special effects and everything. But um, but I, I really think that this pilot is shot very well to give you a real sense, particularly of Winterfell, since that's our main yeah. location. But even, you know, King's Landing, that that, that sort of um, revolving shot around John Aaron as he's lying right. um, in front of the Iron Throne. So you're getting a sense of the throne room and where Jamie and Cersei are. And there's just little things like that that stand out to me that, you know, for the smaller budget that they had and the risks, you know, and the, the, the shortcuts I'm sure they had to take, it still looks expensive, real, lived in, yeah. and you get a sense of the scope of the places. So uh, This is why uh, your, your perspective is so valuable here uh, for what your skill set is uh, in, in, in your professional career, because I, I think, yeah, writing and, 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 and 
it's taking the show to different places. And, you know, this episode, it says Winterfell. It says King's Landing. Something they, crazy? It's like the only time they yeah. actually have like it written on the screen. Yeah. This is where you are. That took me by surprise this right. time because, oh, that you, they blocked that. They yeah. didn't do that anymore. You forget <laughs> that. But that's it. There's so a lot is in the writing, obviously. But I really think the editing sets the tone and trains us as an audience to be like, you're going to move around a lot. There's a lot going on, and if you're not a book reader, you're you're, you're going to be lost. Particularly, you know, particularly if you, if you haven't got a, a ground base of, of the story. I think that's 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 one of the the victories of the of the editing in this episode. It trained me to be like, oh, we're going to do this. Right. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we really dive in, we got a call. As we always do. We we uh, get calls into the anchor app here in Casually Talk, and we have our good friend Eric Monroe calling in with his his thoughts about the pilot and what he considers it to be. Let's hear from Eric. Hey, Ken Casually Talk. So as the uh, Casually Talks rewatch is about to commence, you know, it got me reflecting on right before the series aired back in 2011. I actually. A month before the pilot aired, I got bought my first HD TV, which was actually a plasma TV, which doesn't even exist anymore. You know how times change. Now you got 4K and all that stuff. But I think with the pilot, it really was the most important episode of the entire series because it had to do two things. One, it had to satisfy the book fans, but two, and an even, great, even greater, it had to draw in people like you who didn't read the books and make them want to tune in the week after, which I think the pilot absolutely did. It nailed it out of the park yes. but for me it definitely was the most important episode of this of the series look i i i think there's some bigger more technically more important episodes later on rachel but in terms of pilots and and, and again the legend of the reshoot of this one I, I don't think eric's wrong because you are a book reader who was sitting there going let me see what they got and i was like well i like lord of the rings this got swords in it let me see if i like it yeah it's no. it's a it's the most crucial episode, especially in an era where we're inundated with television choices and nobody can watch everything that airs. And so, you know, these yeah. days, if something doesn't grab you right out of the gate. There's mm-hmm. other things to move on to. And that was true 10 years ago as well. So, you know, they really had to nail, you know, the intrigue, the mystery, the characters, the start the plot threads. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think it's really does impressively, um, and this goes to David and Dan writing is making sure the connections are made. So all the dialogue in this episode, all of it is crucial because they're talking about people we haven't seen yet that are going to play important roles. The dominoes are falling in such a way we know now who actually hit the first domino being one Mr. Peter Baelish, who is not in this episode. Not in it, yeah. But... You know, the, the, the when the raven comes in, Cat goes into the godswood to tell um, Ned that John Aaron is passed. You're, that's not the only thing you're learning in there. Right. You're also learning how important John Aaron, he was a father figure. You're learning that Liza, Cat's sister, was John Aaron's wife, mm-hmm. you know. And then later when she gets the second raven from Liza and it's from the Eerie and that's important. Like the way that they weave all of the locations, the relationships mm-hmm. and the things, uh, the pieces of information that are going to be important feels almost perfectly seamless. There's a couple wonky ADR lines yeah. that get thrown in here and there, but generally speaking, they're all giving us a point. Even so the seemingly weird, you know, shaving scene between Rob yeah. Theon and Jon Snow. The important thing in there, other than a little bit of character work, is they say that Joffrey's a, a right little prick. Right. Because they needed to plant that yeah. there 
because we're going to see it later on. So like all of this stuff has to happen in 60 minutes. And yeah, me, that's weaving all of that together right. is so super important and, and so well done. Yeah, which is what they, I think, fixed the most. It wasn't so much the acting. There, yes, a lot of actors got changed. Some of that was scheduled. Some of the, you know, chance to look at it again, I'm sure. But they, they say, if you read the story, you hear the stories, Benny Alvin Weiss, like we, we, we put it out there. Our friend wrote on a notepad, in all caps, massive problem. And it was yeah. about what you were just describing. So they went back in and, and they fixed it. And as someone, you know, I, I'm, I'm tuned to this stuff in terms of you know, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. And I watched that stuff. I didn't feel lost. I know other people have said, ah, oh, too many characters. But, you know, and I know that's how you watch things. It might be different than me. But I think because of the way this episode was set up, I didn't feel too lost. I was learning things with everybody, but I didn't I didn't feel too lost. I wasn't where you were, where you were like, oh, yeah, I know this. But, yeah. Um Rachel, let's dive in. I want to. I want. I'm, this is this is the the meat of this uh, eel pie that Tyrion would enjoy some wine here. Um, we are going to be presenting themes and lessons. We're going to talk about our uh, favorite moments, uh, uh, foreshadowing things that mean more more now. All those things. But I want to lead with these themes here, Rachel, and and to those listening and watching. You know, we're gonna we're gonna dive in. We're gonna free form conversation. I'll present some. Rachel will present some too here. I, I do want to start us off, Rachel, with what I believe could be. Uh, called maybe the big theme of this episode, and and it's to me comes a little bit out of what Tyrion says, what he says to Jon Snow, the famous thing: "Never forget what you are. The rest of the world will not wear it like armor. It can never be used to hurt you." That's this big, powerful statement that people remember, and to me, that that flows into what I call the desired identities versus expectations: who versus what, what you are or what you think you might want to be isn't necessarily who you are or who you want to be, and that's where it starts. Where does Tyrion's line just kind of land for you in the theme? Yeah, I think I, I, your, your phrasing is much better than mine. I just, I phrased it as, you know, um, the, I was struck by how many people felt like outsiders yeah. who weren't, who were playing the role, play, playing a role that they didn't want to play. And, you know, the, there's obvious ones and then there's slightly less obvious ones. But like in that moment, both John and Tyrion have this, you know, glaring thing about them that the world sees and judges them for. And therefore they're only allowed to do certain things within the world based on those. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, it's an assumption on John's part. Turns out not to be true. Um, the line is like, you know, if they, they think it would be an insult if a bass uh, amongst yeah. the Royals, if a bastard was amongst their midst, when in fact he is the Royal and yeah. Joffrey, Tom <laughs> and Marcella are the bastards. But you know, but yeah. the, that idea that that's so integral to who John is, his yeah. identity as a bastard and what that means for what he's able to do in his life. And he thinks joining the Night's Watch is pretty much his only option. Tyrion being a dwarf, it calls forward to the trial scene. You mm -hmm. know, you've all judged me based on this. Forget about everything else. You won't hear anything else. But, you know, Arya is another yeah. really prime example yeah. of, you know, being forced into one role and very clearly not wanting to be that. And does she even have a line in this episode? Like, you know, she she shoots the arrow when Bran is yeah. practicing, which is when she's supposed to be doing needlework. I mean, that says a thousand things right there about her yeah. character. And that's perfect because that's a show not tell situation, which is always something oh, yeah. in, in visual storytelling that we want to don't just rattle all the names off to us, you know, and, and tell us about characters. Show us. So yeah. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. She's good. Um, Bran is going to feel this way because he wants a very certain thing that is very plausible. He wants to be a knight. He wants to be a soldier, as Robert tells him. But yeah. by the end of this episode, that's going to be taken away from him. So then who is he? Yeah. Um, and uh, Cersei, I think, falls into the category, even Kat to an extent. Beyond yeah. certainly, is he a Stark or is he a Greyjoy? There's so much about identity mm. that I think absolutely nailed yeah no i we're in sync here which is why i love it and to be clear for those listening this is part of the fun is is like joseph scrimsh and i do an unfortunate too of like what do we each see here and where because that that just kind of you know confirms some things that are there if we're both seeing some of the stuff there and i love this and you're, you're listing some of them i'll run down are you doing needlepoint are you with needles just cool by the way but uh not being happy about it and those expectations uh you are a thought you know there's a thought of uh, you're a girl in this land you must be this and, and she doesn't want that Bran, uh, you know, being just expected to, you got to shoot this arrow. Uh, you also have, you're expected to watch Will's beheading. Uh, you're a, you're a young man. You're a man. This is what you must do. And and, and we're going into this world that's created, but it, it definitely bleeds over into our world here. John expected uh, to be a bastard. What is that? That uh, Sansa wants to be a queen. <laughs> She's going to learn a lot about that. What that really means, and who she is beyond that. Even Viserys wants to be a king. Uh, that's desired identity versus expectations. Jamie and Cersei, by the way, they don't want to be siblings. <laughs> um, and one of the big ones here, and we'll come to what are some I think are some sub sub themes. But one of the big ones you, you mentioned, Danny here. Yeah, Danny does not want to be Drogo's king uh, uh, queen. There is, of course, uh, an already controversial scene even back then of their adjustment, uh, slight adjustment of uh, uh, the uh, Cal Drogo, Daenerys Targaryen uh, consummation scene. It's it's. Uh, not it's played differently in the show let's just say that uh not a lot of consent there and they focused on that and what i try to take out of that is a big lesson and theme for danny uh she just wants to be on a path in which she is controlled in which and she is in control of her, her mind body purpose and goals she has none of that right now and that sets her off and i think that factors in down the line when she senses loss of that control right or wrong she senses yeah. it and acts on it there. So, what, any thoughts on some of that stuff there that I dumped onto this platter? Yeah, uh, for Danny, I think it was the writers feeling the need to double down on her having, as you put it, no control in any aspect whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and so, you if you put a character at the absolute lowest of lows, then then it's a journey to build it back up. Um, uh, I think that that sometimes can be a little reductive. I don't necessarily, we still, she was still at a really low, low, but to have, you know, an inkling of a say in that moment, as she does in the book, you know, could have been the first step in a different trajectory. Um, And I think it would have worked just as well. Well, Um, and I want to dig in on that a second there, you know, without a doubt, 2011 is eons ago and expectations for some of these scenes, things we maybe don't want to see in these type of scenes and things we want to see, what you're describing, which was, you know, already in the book. George has, George does some weird things in the books, but this is something I think I'm more in line to. And that, that is interesting to me to know just the context of the time. I think we are in a better spot and we just as, as an audience 
have a little bit more expectations. If you're going to use rape as a plot point, you damn well better be sure you're handling it in the best way possible and that you're not just shoving it into a story to to bring some sort of effect. Because what you're describing, I think, could have been just as effective. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. And we have a, we have a different lens. We have a 10 year later lens where, you know, um, we've been through a lot as just a society and culture in terms of viewing these types of things. Um, so, you know, it, it happened. It was the decision they made at the time. It does work on a macro level in terms like I understand the the reasoning behind it. I understand putting somebody in this position and then for us to be able to watch them to, to dig themselves out, to grow. And it's, a a bookend you know from that scene to the dragons being born at the end of the season you know there's there's a a, an arc there and i get it um but i do think you know down the line someday when this all gets remade again um (laughs) that there might be a little more nuance in you know decision making about stuff like that are you suggesting a game of thrones just reboot are you that that's i mean i'm i might be for it i might be for it (laughs) I have a feeling that um, if nothing else, the the final season will um, encourage somebody in the near future to, yeah. to redo the whole thing and yeah. um, and try to one up it. I think it's going to be a very difficult task. Yeah, but so who knows at that point if we have more books? So you know, I, th- I think Hollywood is what it is, and that at some point somebody's going to pitch. <laughs> I, I could see that. I could see that. And and to uh, uh, kind of a little mi- uh, micro point, Rachel kind of brought up there. It's like in, in going into the themes and we always say at Force Center to engage with the story presented to you. Part of it is will be even some of the uh, decisions or scenes or moments or how they're played that maybe we don't agree with. We're definitely going to address that, but also just look at what's there for the story for us to learn from. And that's why I think this moment. Like you said, Rachel, I understand it does work and, and not totally just tossing it aside, but I just I'm thankful that as an audience, we want more out of these stories and, and how yeah. they're executed. We want more out of them. Definitely. There's um, a reasonable, respectable way to talk yeah. about it um, and mm-hmm. not condemn them for it. Yeah. Or something at the time. A couple sub themes here. And then I'd love to hear anything that I've missed uh, or that you interpreted different here. Uh, let me just get your thoughts on these. Uh, I have uh, this idea of, and it's more even, it's a theme, but it's like a lesson for the show too. And, and what something they're presenting early on is, is who we view as the villains and who we view as the heroes. And we know a lot of that gets changed along the way. You and I in past episodes have just talked about the scenes we love of Jamie talking about, uh, you know, with Brian in the bath about how that, Flip things, but let me just go into this, and I'll get your thoughts on them. The wildlings, as they're called here, are immediately positioned as trouble, savages, uh, and and the Night's Watch is also positioned pretty immediately. Uh, this opening scene, Raymond Royce, I wouldn't say he's noble, but they're they're positioned as having this noble purpose upon meeting Benjamin. Uh, that to me sets the tone for uh, uh, t- uh, almost tricking us to go a direction that we would naturally just go as an audience like oh well those are the bad folks and it's part to me john snow's journey of viewing them as wildlings to free folk to becoming one of them at the very end and i i thought that was interesting that that's that's right there in the cold opening rachel yeah this show and martin in particular loved to subvert expectations Mm -hmm. i mean i think he gets a ton of glee out of it and as a reader and a viewer i do too because most of the time it's not um a a sharp right turn for no reason there are 
the, it always adds up or usually adds up to those turns, to those twists. And um, the more information you get, the more you realize, oh, this isn't what I first thought based on what I was presented with, but it makes sense given all these other little pieces that we're seeing along the way. Um, And I I love that the very first line uh, that any character speaks um, is from Waymar Royce. And he's talking to Will who said he saw the, the, um, the dead wildlings and he says what did you expect they're savages yeah. and it's funny to me that's the first line of the entire series i'm like yeah. applicable in many many ways to many many characters right overall and it's being associated with this one group that potentially we know nothing about so there's the assumption made but then yeah. it's overturned over the course of time and i do love that i love that about mm-hmm. the book and martin in general and that the show follows through with that um in, in you know, in the big ways, yeah. red wedding, and in the small ways, like a journey to become to come yeah. into like um, characters that are wildlings or you know yeah. various things like that. I mean, so we're looking at the first sequence to the last of, of just play those just those two scenes, and it's it's this show obviously isn't just John and the free folk. Uh, I get it, but it's John Snow and he's his big guy. That's why I always say that the the thought that he is the boy who would be king is is not necessarily John's arc. It's what we're taught to believe just years and years and years of pulling swords out of stones and getting lightsabers given to us. And that's, and watching this today, even just as we're getting ready to record, I'm like, I've always loved this opening sequence. I'll talk about it again in terms of favorite moments, but I'm like, wow, you put, you put this in the last scene and just what those scenes are telling us. I love that stuff. A couple ones here. We got Tyrion and the Hound. We're immediately kind of positioned to look at them in a certain way. Uh, Lannisters, the death of John Aaron. You mentioned it. What we're, we're immediately assuming with the death of John Aaron. Um, this is about our lessons as an audience about what, who we view as the villains and the heroes. And even I've talked about it a lot. You and I have talked about it too here. Uh, King Robert. Uh, and I do love, uh, I love Mark Addy, but I, I, I have a love for King Robert. I don't, I think he's far from perfect, but we are immediately, immediately taught Rachel. Oh, he, he's Ned's friend. He's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like you, the, we realize eventually, and it's hinted at in this show, when, when um, Ned says that, you know, Bran's only 10, but he won't be forever. He's, he's, he's growing up into an adult and he has to face the realities of adult. He's going to have to face the realities of being a main protagonist because yeah. the older generation is passing the torch. This is a weirdly a coming of age series, you yeah. know, for a lot of these characters. You know, John, Sansa, Arya, Bran. Totally. Theon, you know, like a, there's so much, you know, they start out sheltered and believing certain things. And, and, um, one of the lessons I know j- I'm jumping yeah. ahead a little bit. No, I was please, thinking it was like, sort of be, be careful what you wish for, you know, yeah. like Sansa wanting to be the queen. Like it's the only thing I ever wanted is to marry Joffrey. You don't know what you're asking for and you're going to find out and you're going to learn that lesson and you have to, you, they all have to learn to be careful. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the things that you think you want now based on, you know, your very tiny sheltered point of view of everything are going to change very much over the course of eight seasons. Uh, I love that you highlight that as a lesson. That's very valuable. Final final thoughts from here on some sub themes and, 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 and destinies. Destiny is a big theme I want to get into, but sub facing truth and not wanting to face truth kind of tagging on what you just said or the big lesson of this might, it might be what you want, but do you really and can you face that truth? But here's here's some ones. Um, uh, and it's and it's not just about us in the real world, which is a lot of these themes and lessons and how I love they connect with us. But looking ahead to the story, Ned and Roderick seem to to me. I want to get your thoughts. Ned and Roderick seem to immediately know something is different with the execution of Will, 
the eyes they look, finding the dire wolf. That's a truth, I think, in their hearts. They're both like, well, these are the stories we always heard about. This doesn't seem good. And are they going to face that or not? You know, have you, did you ever interpret that? Those eyes, those looks between Roderick and, and Ned. And it, particularly when Benjamin talks to Ned, um, because not only, you know, talk of, of white walkers, dire wolves south of the wall, you know, and then he said, you being the hand of the King, like world's coming to an end. Like these are all very strange things. Um, but the idea being that if people had believed will, had investigated what he said, things would be like, it's one of those, those pivot points that you don't realize is a pivot point until later. And you're like, man, you guys would have gone in a very, very, very different way. If you had taken him at all, seriously, you understand why they don't. And you, we get doubled down on that with Maester Lewin talking to Bran about snarks and grumpkins and, and the things that, that, you know, we believed as kids because, you know, we all believe about the monster under the bed. They're not real. Um, this is a, a world where they technically did exist thousands of years ago, though. So there's yeah, yeah. The, the room for, well, maybe. Yep. Um, and yep. and Snarks are generally the people who are always prepared for the worst. Winter is coming. Those are their words. That yep. Ned has lived his whole life, especially with when you think about Robert's rebellion and everything that happened to his, his father and his brother and mm. everything, you know, things will go wrong. Things will go bad. Things will be unexpected. You wish he'd taken those lessons a little bit further later on when he's in King's Landing and he's playing the Thrones. But as a Stark, I think that hearing about White Walkers, hearing, seeing dire wolves and things like that would, you know, raise the antenna, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. I love, love what you said about Will. If you just listen to this guy who his words are pretty haunting. And I love that. He's just kind of like, yeah, I know I got to go tell my family. You know, I, I, but I know. And Benjamin backs that up. And the title of the episode is Winter is Coming. And that's a, a, a house words, a house words we've always loved. And we've always tied it to the show when it comes back. And Winter finally is here and just in terms of plot. But I think as a big theme and lesson for this episode, winter is, is coming. Sometimes it's this big thing in the world. Sometimes it's something in your life. And can you face that truth? Can, you know, Catelyn has the truth about John in front of her face. And, and, and can she face uh, the truth that maybe she didn't treat him right? John's facing this truth about being a bastard, going back to desired identities and what you're talking, the excellent points you made about Tyrion. I think all that stuff is there. And, and again, going to Bran... You know, Ned gives the big speech we'll talk about in the second half of the show here, or the great big line that to me is the quote of the episode. But when Bran gets that, yeah, yeah, swing the sword thing, yeah, he immediately's like, is it true about the White Walkers? Like, immediately throws it back because he's clued in. He doesn't he doesn't have those dreams yet, maybe. But And Ned doesn't want to face it. He maybe can't face it with his 10-year-old son. But you can tell Ned's like, oh, God, I don't want to face that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Not on top of everything else. Um, um yeah, before I get into destinies, any other themes and lessons that you want to talk about or uh, add to anything uh, I've barfed up already? <laughs> One of the things that really strikes me, and and um, it's actually best encapsulated in the, the house words of a different house, which is House Tully. Um, and what is it? Family duty honor, I believe is their house words. And what strikes me about the pilot having watched the whole series is... Uh, loyalty and in ranking your loyalty. What are you loyal to first, second, third, like, you know, motivation for things because loyalty is very clearly very important to Ned. And he's, you know, so loyal to Rob 
Robert, who's his best friend, who he helped win the Seven Kingdoms with. Um, and then we finds out he's going to be in danger. It's one of the reasons that he ultimately does accept the the um, hand of the kingship and um, and goes. But we know that there's something we eventually find out there's something that he's more loyal to. And that was Liana and the vow that he made. And mm. people talk about oaths in this episode a lot. The knights will broke his oath. That's why right. he has to die. Um, and the idea of everybody's motivated to act based on their loyalty, but what are they loyal to loyal to their family, their King, their house, the Tywin Lannister's coming and it's Lannister, Lannister, Lannister that comes above everything, but you might be loyal to a person, Jamie and Cersei. You might be loyal to your ambition, Peter Varys. Like there's so much that's driven by who's loyal to what. And it's, becomes surprising it's one of those things where like you think somebody's loyal one way and then you find out later there's actually something else happening mm-hmm. um and it drives so much of the action and i think it's very oh. clear right off the bat that people are loyal to certain things yeah. um and those loyalties will be tested uh many times i, I you just said something that just got uh, it, it got a boom which makes me feel like a uh, dad joker, but uh, which, you know, I am, even though I'm not a dad, let's be honest. Uh, know that we love this show for its plots, its twists, its turns, and I that I, I am all in on that, everyone should know. But in, in applying themes to them, you just, what you just talked about, about loyalty and, and these words and these houses and, the, and, and who's loyal to what, fuel, like you said, fuels that, fuels the action, but it's also... Asking, yeah, it, it asks us that question along the way, and it plays with that constantly. That's why I love the lesson of, because I'm all in. When I was watching the show season one, I was like, yeah, those damn wildlings, and they come down, and they and they want to kill Bran. And, and and along the way, I'm learning the lesson with John, who am I loyal to? This, this noble, I'm wearing a Night's Watch hat. A hat. I, you know I love the Night's Watch just for, for silly reasons and personal reasons, but... What's my what is my loyalty to 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 people to human like I, so I've got to learn it too along the way. Uh, I think that's an excellent point, and and to use the house words to explain it, ranking your loyalty. <laughs> we might all have to do it. Um, yeah. Great, great one, Rachel. Any any other ones uh, before I uh, dive into destinies in this show? No, I think that that's there's like you said sub threads. Like I think that it establishes houses and legacies. L- loyalty to yeah. your house means being loyal to what do you leave when behind, and it's Ned passing on to Rob and John, and, and ultimately to Sansa, which isn't quite readily um, uh, knowable at this point. Um, that the Lannisters, you get that sense, especially with the you know Tyrion his sort of point of view versus Cersei yeah. and, um, and Jamie and, you know, and we'll get more of that, the more houses that we, um, that we learn about. But I think Robert is talking about that when he's talking to Ned about, I need you to be my hand because, right. you know, you helped me win the seven kingdoms. Now help me run them. We were born to do this, you know, um, so, good. so you know, yeah. it's, it's tied into loyalty is, is this idea of houses and family. And um, that's mm-hmm. starts to become clear in the pilot. And obviously, over the course of the series. Yeah. Dynasties, as Cersei and Time would say. Uh, speaking of close to that, Dynasties is also Destinies. Obviously, this is one of those shows. You and I, uh, we love Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know Lord of the Rings like uh, nothing else. You're, you're an absolute expert on Lord of the Rings, and and it is that classic myth. I, I'm just, my life is Star Wars. It is the modern myth, uh, speaking to, to the 12-year-old in all of our hearts. So Destinies, without a doubt, are going to be part of this, even if it's George R. R. Martin's 
the taxes of Aragorn the day after he becomes king kind of show that George R. R. Martin always talks about love doing it. Destinies are, are just being sold right from the beginning, so it's definitely a theme. And what we think of destinies, I always view destiny is actually the journey to a key point of choice or many points of choice. But along the way, uh, here we are. We're presented with many, uh, uh, Rachel. We got John and Danny, obviously, Song of Ice and Fire, uh, start low positions, but we immediately get the sense more is coming, and that's coming for me as as watching this on April seventeenth, two thousand eleven. Going, I think they made. They, I think they have some books about these. Let me just figure this out, and immediately I'm like, oh, okay, we got something going on with these two. Uh, destinies are big. We also got Ned must go face his destiny. Bran literally falls into his destiny. Even Viserys, he thinks there's a destiny, and he says this great line: uh, "How do we go home with an army?" He's saying it to Danny, and there's some destiny in there too for her. Uh, what do you yeah. think about destinies, particularly John and Danny in the beginning of their journeys? Definitely, because even though it's not readily apparent, it's more apparent when you get to the end of the season and and Danny's reborn in fire, like literally, um, and the dragons. But you know, her stepping into that scalding hot bathtub speaks to the the fire blooded nature of the Targaryens um, juxtaposed with, you know, the, the cold of Winterfell and, and the cold open and, mm-hmm. and John Weiss joins the Night's Watch and everything. So you definitely have representations of both of them um, yeah. within that fire ice um, dichotomy. And then, you know, knowing that they're going to rise up through the ranks in both of those respective areas and then come together with them. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is, you know, very poetic and sort of traditional, but, you know, it's Martin, so he's not going to do it quite in the same traditional way. And, of yeah. course, with Bad Queen Danny, that's where you really get the the left turn um, yeah. expectations uh, part of it. But, um, but, yeah, it's great because it's still a fantasy series and i and almost right. every time i do a podcast or something about uh game of thrones i always tend to mention that because it's what brought me to it in the first place and the fantasy elements are important to me i love that he balances them out so well with more reality based type of problems and, right. and uh ruling and factions and and you know uh relationships and and you know the the machinations of the game of thrones yeah and that's all rooted in people yeah. And that's important because if you care about the people, then when the fantasy enters the lives of the people, then you're more invested with it um, and it all melts together really well. Mm-hmm. So, but destiny is, is a huge fantasy trope. It's something that, you know, that exists in every fantasy story ever. So it makes sense that it would here um, and that they feel like traditional destinies. Again, mm-hmm. Bran is probably going to be a knight. Sansa's probably going to be a queen. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, yeah. 
even Ned being, you know, the grand vizier, like the hand of the king. Yeah. These are all things we know within this realm. Um, but, you know, it's Martin and he's going to twist those destinies in um, in ways that are unexpected, but still feel very rooted in the real world that he's yeah. created. I'll throw I'll throw uh, some to you here that uh, a little off our, our, our path here, but your thoughts on what destiny is. And I'll preface it by saying again what I, what I said is I have a strong belief that destiny is is truly not that you are the the boy who would be king or the girl who would be queen. It is, and, and that is going to happen regardless. You still along the way have to make these choices. The fall of Darth Vader, he is the destined to be the chosen one, but along the way the choices can change that. And there's a lot of things. So I think later on in Game of Thrones, there's some choices or things that are done that don't maybe align with the traditional destiny idea but what do you how do you look at destiny not just in game of thrones but in all of these things including our beloved lord of the rings sure no i i love the idea and i mean you just said it it's about choice Mm. because you know in lord of the rings you have the man who would be king but he has to choose to follow that path he has to make the hard decisions along that path to to go there and the, weirdly, Tolkien sort of rips the expectation rug out from under us, too, with Frodo, because he chooses not to throw the ring into Mount Doom. Right. And it's only, but then it was his choice to, it was Bilbo's choice to spare Gollum in The Hobbit that leads us to the point where Gollum is actually the one who tries to take the ring and it mm. falls in. Um, so both of those um, trajectories were based on choices, yeah. sort of unexpected choices. Yeah. Uh, so in in Game of Thrones, I think it's, it's something similar but I think it's not so obvious in the choices. I think there it's yeah. more about all the little choices, you know, because that feels more um, grounded to, you know, to have all the little things add up to, you know, to Arya sailing for Bravos. You know, it wasn't one thing. That wasn't what she set out to do. That right. wasn't necessarily a destiny per se. She was trying to survive. She's trying to get back to her family and she right. tries to get back to this family member. They're gone. She tries to get back to this one. They're gone. She gets to River Run when Red Wedding, like all of these things add up to, okay, in this moment, yeah. okay, here's the bigger choice. All these little choices, here's the bigger mm-hmm. choice. And now I'm going to go this way, but it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so the destinies, I guess, are more about not the, that I will become queen. I'll become leader. I'll become this or whatnot. It's, you know, it's, guiding the the paths of people in yourself to get to those bigger moments. Um, and like you said, sometimes your destiny for, for a cause or for a people or for a thing that is bigger than yourself. So mm. your destiny is to die for it or to, you know, Theon, he, he dies mostly just as like a, a, a delaying tactic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, a lot of people felt it was mm. sort of, um, uh, a throwaway like right, like right. What, what was the point of that but i do think there was a point to that like it delayed the action it delayed everything that was happening around them just enough to get people where they need to be for things to happen um but it also everything that happened before that is almost as impor- important yep. or even more important than totally. that moment yeah so. and i think theon uh gets to you know choose to die uh, for a stark and as a stark in a way though right. at, at that point maybe bran 
wasn't anything, as, <laughs> as Brad would say. All right, so here's what we're going to do. If you're listening on the audio podcast, and I hope you are, uh, we are available on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and all the spots. Uh, we're going to take a break. The music will play, but we're going to stay here recording on YouTube, have a minute or two of bo- bonus content while I switch files out. It's the old podcast thing. You're watching a podcast being recorded. That's what we're doing here. So stick around. Casterly Talk, the rewatch has begun. More on the other side. Hey, it's Alden Diaz here to tell you about Octo Radio. It's an interview show that I do exploring the different passionate Star Wars perspectives from artists, writers, crafters, and even other podcasters, plus even some people straight from Lucasfilm. So you can come hang out on my podcast island and celebrate the Star Wars ties that bind us together. Oh yeah, what the pork said. You can follow us everywhere on social at A-H-C-H-T-O Radio. That's Octo Radio and follow me at A-D underscore Strider. Why We Love Star Wars by Ken Napsuck is a collection of little love letters to the greatest saga ever told, and a personalized copy can be yours today. Just go to KenNapsuck.com and choose the Shop tab. There, you'll find options to purchase exclusive poster art designed by movie trivia Schmodown star Janine Bryce, a signed copy of Why We Love Star Wars, and collector Napsuck file cards. Already have a copy of the book but still want an author signature? Then check out the book plate package. Get a signed book plate sticker and a 3D printed keychain sent straight to your spaceship. Go to KenNapsuck.com for pricing and shipping information. For the best in pop culture art, sleek designs, and some of the best brand logos around, shop G9 Design on TeePublic and represent the electrifying art of Janine Bryce with a shirt, wall art, and more. Go to TeePublic.com slash user slash G9 Design. And while you're searching the G9 Design storefront, check out Janine's show, It's a Wonderful Podcast, available right here on Anchor and wherever podcasts are found. All right, we are back here on Casterly Talk. It's me, Ken Napsuck, and Rachel Cushing, uh, the uh, new co-host of the Schmodown Backstage Show. Rachel, congratulations on that. Thank you. I'm 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 looking forward to um, to, to crossing swords with. Uh Ben Bateman and uh, discussing the show we both love. <laughs> uh, that's going to be fun. Uh, Rachel and I are not uh, crossing swords here. I think we're having a lot of fun. At least I hope you are, Rachel, digging into the big oh, themes yeah. of the pilot episode. Thanks for those listening on the podcast. We also are available on YouTube at uh, my YouTube channel, uh, Ken Napsock. Just search it, find it out. You'll see my now probably more sweaty face as it's getting close to 110 degrees in the valley this weekend. I feel as though I'm in Dorn, Rachel. That's terrible. (laughs) We are going to move a little past the themes and the lessons, the big uh, meat of our conversation. We're going to go into actual stuff in the show. Uh, And before we do that, I got a call here from Sarah Risley, who is also a big fan of the movie Trivia Schmodown. And she has a a call about uh, why we're invested in a GOT and the pilot rewatch. So here we go with Sarah. 
Hey, Ken and Casterly Talk fans, this is Sarah. I was getting ready for our rewatch and thinking to myself why I'm so invested in Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire. And I immediately thought of the very beginning of both the book and the TV series, starting with that uh, foreshadowing of the stag and the direwolf and the direwolf puppies that are handed out to the children and how that meant something. It's the first time that you see as an audience that you'll be rewarded if you pay attention, if you are listening, that you will get rewarded in later on in the story. But then I also am wondering, is it a setup? Did we all start looking for that foreshadowing and everything and why we still talk about all of the different, the prince who um, you know, was promised and all of those single nuggets hoping for something more? Thanks. Thank you, Sarah. This is uh, we're going to get into our favorite little uh, foreshadows uh, in this episode. And there's without a doubt a lot. Rachel, you already mentioned one of my favorites, and it's one of the first ones I think people go back and watch and pick up on. It's Danny in the bath. It's so hot. Oh, and you're like, ah, I know she's a dragon. Now, you know, you pick up on it. Uh, and again, I know you had a lot of knowledge going in, so you might have had a lot more fun and, and a different perspective on it. The the dire wolf, uh, the, the 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 stag, uh, the signs of what's uh, what's to come, and as well as the pups and, and John with with uh, ghost all that stuff. Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll dive into that. But to Sarah's point, I, I would love to get your thought on it. Now that we're all wrapped up with the show, and this is part of the reason I want to go into the themes. I, I loved digging and I was I was uh, I had they are, uh, you know, L plus R equals J T-shirt and I had all that, you know, absolutely. George built that into the show or into the, the story. The show had to take some of that and the show played with some of that. But I think the show never in retrospect. And I, this is something I wouldn't have said watching it for season four, five and six, where I'm telling friends, hey, get ready for this. Um, it was, you know, I don't I don't think the show had a chance. Uh, it was never going to be able to dive into these as much, so I don't think to Sarah's point. I don't think we're, we were wrong for looking, and I don't think the show was wrong for having a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of foreshadowing, but it was it might have been impossible. And I'm not saying this is fact. I'm definitely not saying this is fact. It's just my thought at this point in my Game of Thrones fanship that uh, I don't know if they even ever, ever were going to have a chance to really kind of deliver on all of our expectations on these prophecies and foreshadowings. Yeah, I, I think that um, as much as I will. And I mean the praise that I give the show for juggling as much as it, as it did. That's a layer that works better in the written word. You know, somebody saying a prophecy, you know, they only ever did it the once with Maggie the Frog and they diluted it um, just to really be about, you know, her um, not marrying the prince, marrying the king and outliving her children. Um, the... Uh, the other prophecies, you know, Witch of High Heart and things of like that. Like, it, you, what do you do in the show? You just meet a character who says a bunch of words. Yeah. And, you know, it, it stops things down. And then most of it doesn't make sense until after, like, you know, uh, uh, mm. yeah. this in her hairnet. You know, like, that doesn't mean anything until you get there. And then you look back on it. Um, and then, you know, the idea of, you know, Azor High and the prince who was promised, you know, they, they would throw around mm. bits of it, like with Melisandre and stuff like that. But I think they were too worried about backing themselves into that corner where you have a frenzy yeah. of 
bands doing all of that stuff when in fact you do need to be considering plot and moving forward um, and whatnot. So I do think that there are some aspects where all of that works better in a book um, than it does uh, on a television show that is already yeah. ridiculously dense. Yeah. So. Yeah. And this is not, you know, I, I'm generally so positive on this show, but it, but, but, you know, this is not to defend any, any mistakes or choices that, that they made that weren't popular. It just, it just, yeah, as, as producers and, and, and writers and, 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 and the creators making this, yeah, they, they had to focus on for a TV show. They had to focus on these big themes, these myths and these destinies, uh, to carry their story forward just as it more, you know, the, the plots, the devices and all that stuff and the twists and turns are definitely there. And again, not saying everything was done perfectly. I'm just saying that's why I'm especially now on this rewatch want to focus on that and, 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 and continue to get rewarded by what was presented to me and all of us in the story. But it's, it's a fair question. But that said, Rachel, there's foreshadowing and I love it. And I'm going to list some little ones, some big ones. I want to hear from you, and we'll dive into this one here. Uh, I got we got Arya with needle uh, right there. You go, oh look at that, the dire wolf and her pups. We we know Ned's death with the 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 whole the beheading and 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 the swinging of the sword. Uh, Danny in the bath. We talked about a uh, Benjen. I always love. I always talk about uh, you know things with more meaning, and we'll get to that in a second. But Benjen's arrival matches his death. But I, there's in that conversation when he tells John the wall isn't going anywhere. That's the kind of the first time we're told here's something that a character believes that's probably not going to remain true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then final one for me, Danny gets the dragon eggs. Any thoughts from you and, and ones I've certainly missed? Yeah, well, it's um, the one that sticks out. I mean, the dead direwolf and the stag, you know, huge. The spirals with the White Walkers, not so much foreshadowing, but just like an image that we will come back to. Yep. A lot of stuff is like line based like that. But yeah. the man who passes the sentence should swing the sword um, is is so integral to who Ned is as a character. And in that moment, passing that down, because when you consider it, John has to do it in the series. Rob does it in the series. Theon does it in the series when he kills Roderick Castle and when he takes over. So the, the idea that this is so ingrained into Ned and being a Stark in the North and everything else. And it's in such opposition to most of the rest, you know, who are like, you know, sentence somebody to die and then send somebody else to do it. I mean, Ilan Payne is, is, Person who does it for the king right. um so it's a very important aspect uh, that says a lot about the starks but then more so leaning into what i was talking about before about the show being a coming of age story and passing you yeah. know the world on to the next generation that all three of them do what ned taught them to do mm-hmm. um uh, i think resonates a lot. Um, I that you that's I'd love that you said that. I love because because it's always the first thing you when you hear that Ned quoted, you go, "Oh, that's his death." Even I just mentioned it that he's basically you know <laughs> yeah. we, we know where that's going to go for him. But I love what you just said that that goes back to a theme of just this legacy, this generational thing, passing it on. That that's powerful stuff. That they are all going to have to deal with this at some point in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Uh, comes from Danny or comes from Ned. Right. One other tiny one that I caught um, when King Robert meets the Stark children, you know, he says to Bran, you're going to be a soldier. Yeah. And I feel like that's a very deliberate choice of word mm. because it, I would think it would be a knight. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 
Uh, but a soldier or fighter, you know, Bran does become one, but in a very different way. And I do think there's a lot of talk in the episode too about seeing things. And yes. again, knowing that that Bran's going to take that on in a, in a, in a literal way um, as his superpower, if you will, um, that, that there's just... Yeah. It's just words, you know, but you hear the word oath thrown around a lot. You hear the word seeing thrown around a lot. Like, and again, knowing what we know, it's like, yeah, we're leading somewhere with this stuff. It's pretty crazy when you think that this ends with Bran seeing something that no one else knows and to see where he goes with that and see what happens to him later on. He's the first one to see King Robert coming. Yep. He sees what happens between Jamie and Cersei. Like it, there's just, there's a lot. There's there. a lot. I love that. And, and and that flows kind of in the things with more meaning. Cause you actually, I, I wrote, I, I don't think I've ever really written this uh, or thought about this in the rewatch. And this, I always say the pilot episode winter's coming is the episode I've seen the most because every rewatch begins with it. It's a fun episode just to kind of watch. Some days you're like, I want to go back and see, you know, like a 12 year old, uh, you know, uh, Rob Stark, you know, I mean, I know Richard Madden's older um, because they're also young, but yeah, uh, Bran is the one that's like, I I saw the King. And it's like, Oh man, kid, you are the King. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Uh, here's some of the ones that mean uh, scenes that mean more now. These are necessarily just about foreshadowing. They're just kind of fun too. This is fun. And sometimes it's sad. Uh, We know that. Uh, It's because it's sad. (laughs) Yeah. Robert at Leanna's tomb, which also ties into the theme of facing truths. You know, it's the lie that launched the wars we learn later on, but uh, we got Robert at Leanna's tomb and then the feather, which interesting enough in the original pilot was Cersei burns it. It would not have factored in. They keep it and it comes back later. Comes back later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've talked about this before. Benjamin's arrival mirrors his death. John swinging a sword, kind of fighting uh, uh, and he comes running in. It just kind of, you know, uh, not super deep, but just I, I've always loved that poetry. Um, uh, John Aaron's death, you mentioned it. Now we know more about that. We we blamed Cersei and uh, Jamie in this episode, if you're just kind of following along. Um, I love Bran's archery lesson when that comes back as a memory, just kind of has a more bittersweet feel to it. Arya really studies the hound. I never really paid attention to it. She's really, because he's got the cool hound helmet, right? Hound helm. I've worn one too. They're great. I, 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 I was drawn down on that, Rachel, just like she's studying this guy that's going to change her life and she'll change his and and go back to their final moments in season eight. Essentially, I think he kind of saves her life in a way or at least sends her on a a better path. Uh, More to talk about about that. Of course, I'm just talking in general terms, but I, I never really picked up on that. She's we see the hound through her eyes. Right. It's that edit. It's like we see her watching and then you see him next and you're like, and it's funny because the Hound only has the one tiny interaction with Tyrion in the episode. Um, And uh, it's just enough because we're going to get so much of him, but it's like they knew he was important enough of a character to make sure that that helmet was the most striking, almost ridiculous thing you've ever seen, but it, draws your eyes like what on earth and then you have this you know off color you know ridiculous thing with with Tyrion you know it's it's just enough for a character that's going to become very important that they they manage to get in here amongst everything and uh, I would say uh, things with more meaning now Tyrion's hair in the pilot has more meaning because we'll never see it again Um, there's some great stuff with Illyrio what I call kind of lying or at least telling half truths to him about oh oh what they call you they praised your name and Westeros. They love that. And the reason I highlight that, Rachel, we are definitely later on in life, later on in, well, life, because this is going to be a long rewatch, 
for for Casterly Talk. The idea that that upon returning to Westeros, Danny was raised with this idea of oh, they sing the Targaryen name in halls. And not that she didn't have supporters there, but like she gets over there and it's like, that ain't what's happening. So Illyrio, he's saying it to Viserys, but she's there witnessing him. I've always kind of, that has a little more meaning for me now. Yeah, that's definitely, I'm actually one of the things I was a little sad about was, you know, Illyrio sort of being dropped as a character in the show. I get it. You know, they don't go down the road that he would be more involved with in terms of storylines and whatnot, but he really does play his part so well Mm -hmm. in that scene he's 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 so grovels perfectly for Viserys (laughs) and he says all the right things in all the right ways and I totally this is more of like a favorite little like just tidbit I love when he gives Danny the dragon eggs look at Viserys's face in the background Harry Lloyd (laughs) nails the what the why didn't he give those to me like that Alice like what on uh, it's pitch perfect Harry Lloyd is, is great. And uh, Roger uh, Alum is uh, A-L-L-A-M. Roger Alum, uh, you know, a lot of times we don't uh, talk a lot about these supporting actors that show up all the way through. He's great as Illyrio. And I agree, because season five, when Tyrion gets back over there and he's at Illyrio's house, I'm like, great, we're going to get some scenes. Oh, we're not? Okay. Um, uh, one of the things uh, that got me. Uh, this one here, have you ever really thought on this one here, uh, when when Robert is there, you, the great scene that you mentioned of him getting off the horse and Ned, He's going down the line. He says to Arya, your name is Arya. And I'm like, that I never back then would have, you know, even if, you know, (laughs) uh, that name means a lot that the, her, her ownership or belief in that name when she does or does not have it is pretty important. So anyways, those are some of my ones. You have, you have any that uh, I missed or anything you want to add? Please, please jump in there. The thing that, um, really struck me uh, rewatching it. And it has struck me in the past too, is um, Catelyn and to a certain degree, Cersei. Um, Catelyn is a difficult character to like sometimes slightly more in the books than in the show. But a lot of people feel like her, her dislike of John is, you know, really difficult and irrational. Now I just find it kind of tragic because mm-hmm you know, Ned never cheated on her. And she's, she has this anger, you know, uh, in her heart and and it's all this pent up and she, she can't let it go. We learn later that she, she just, she's tried and she can't do it, you know, is not based on the truth. And, you know, that's very, you know, um, tragic for a character who's very clearly and Cersei too, especially Mm -hmm. the beginning, very, their identities are very wrapped up in their children. Yeah. And the scene between um, Sansa and Kat, Mm. when Kat's trying to like temper that enthusiasm about running off to the capital and marrying a stranger and becoming queen and all this stuff. And like from her point of view, she's about to lose her daughter. And it's a very difficult thing. And then you realize like after the first episode in the beginning of episode two, how many of these characters never see each other again? I know. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, when you, now that we know, you're like, oh my God, like Catelyn will never see her daughters again, which is so much more poignant given mm. her journey and her arc is all about doing whatever it takes to get her daughters back, even go against the wishes of her son, who is now the king of the North. Like it's when you see these scenes, then you're just like, oh, Sansa, don't do it. <laughs> like stay with your mother. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that we all have that feeling when you rewatch movies and whatnot. It's sure. like, don't down that road um but i find both um 
Catelyn and Cersei very sort of sympathetic and tragic in seeing them in this moment because I think even Cersei kind of likes Sansa. I think she sees herself in Sansa when she says, you know, beautiful girl shouldn't be kept up north like this. And her interest in her is not completely cold at this point, I don't think. I think I agree. Recognizes a pretty girl who has an opportunity because that's what Cersei did. She was a pretty girl that you know, managed to, to, to end up marrying the king and is trying to claim some sense of power or ownership yeah. um, that. And so she could see Sansa being somebody similar to herself. I, I am always fascinated with the relationship between Cersei and Sansa. It's it's a troubled one. It's a bad one. But we do see that Sansa does have some affinity for her and learn some lessons, as John points out to her. A lot of stuff there. Great stuff, Rachel. Great stuff. Uh, favorite moments, lines, or scenes? What do you have? Uh, anything there that you just... Forget the big themes and the lessons we're learning, Rachel. You look back and you go, "Man, I love that." Yeah, um, I I I love the um, the scene between Jamie and Cersei when we first meet them, and it's just so Jamie, you know yeah. the 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 way that he talks about um, oh what is it uh, the 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 job um, of the hand oh yeah it, um, like. The, the hours are too long and the, the, the lives are t- too short or something. You know, like- you, you and I are synced, uh, synced up there because I wrote it down. Their days are too long. Their lives are too short. I love that little moment. Yeah. And even pre- preceding that when he's talking about Robert will choose a new hand of the king, someone to do his job while he's off. Can I swear? Sure. Do <laughs> it. Off, fucking boars and hunting whores. Or is it the other way around? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost Tyrion-esque. You yes. know, like you could see Tyrion saying that, but it's funny to me that like they really, again, if we're talking about journeys, because very few characters go on as as mm-hmm. uh, incredible journey as Jamie does, it's this is where he starts. So we're going to make him as irreverent, as cold, as almost ridiculous as possible. Yeah. At the beginning, and then we're going to see where he goes. Oh, yeah. um, I also adore his exchange with Ned, and Ned's like, oh, I don't yeah. play in tournaments because I don't want my opponent to know what I can do, and Jamie's like. Nope, I can respect that. Yeah, well said. Well <laughs> yeah. said. Yeah, and the tension, and then of course, you know, obviously we know what's going to happen, but it's 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 so good. It's so good between them there too. Um, yeah. Any other? Uh, I'm sure there's. I'm sure we, you and I could talk for two more hours about favorite little moments in every episode. But any yeah. more on your list there? Uh, the uh, uh, like I said, like with like little moments because the big ones are important and everything. But even um, to Catelyn and Maester Lewin walking through the hall, and she's like, "Make sure Lord Tyrion has enough candles in his room." I hear he likes to read a lot, and Lewin's like, I "Hear he likes to drink a lot." <laughs> she makes a joke about how much can somebody of that stature really drink, yeah. and we haven't met Tyrion yet, so yeah. it's a great prelude to that. Mm-hmm. And then for him not to be with the procession. And then the first time we see him is with Roz and like that sort of just like lead up is very well. It seems almost throwaway, but we're still getting character information that I like. Yeah. There you go. And talk about going back and fixing exposition and how they got it out. I think they did a bang up job if that's some of the stuff there. Yeah. Uh, and, And that all leads again to Tyrion's wig that we'll never see again. (laughs) <laughs> uh, some of the ones I love and then jump in here obviously too Rachel if, if you get some more uh, I, I always talk about this the cold opening people always like hey Ken how'd you get into Game of Thrones did you read the books no I watched the show first oh what pulled you into the show 30 seconds in the cold yeah. open with me going oh this is 
everything I thought or heard it might be, and it's also nothing I expected. And the little girl reveal her on the tree and the not on the tree. I scare easily, Rachel. Don't watch a lot of horror pictures. Uh, that got me. I was like, I am scared and intrigued all at the same time, and I love it. Yeah. They, they nailed the, again, the fantasy is what starts the show and it's horror fantasy and it's stakey fantasy. I mean, two characters, we meet, we meet three characters for anybody just watching that. Those are three main characters. They're three right. characters. You know, you, you got to know them Two die within next to no time. And pretty much the scene after the main credits, the next one dies. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, you know, it's, it's a lot to take in. It's very, very well done. The score, mm-hmm. they keep, that theme for the white walkers through the whole series. I mean, they embellish on it and Raman Jwadi does amazing music. Oh, yeah, across yeah. The but I also like it when the theme falls out and you just hear the wind and the snow and the sound design so and it's so creepy. So and, creepy. you know, and the design of the white walkers changes a little bit. They get a little yeah. lighter. They're yeah. not quite as dark as they are in this one, but still they kept with the, the idea because the idea is damn creepy. Yeah, yeah, and I always said they were they were they were definitely more creepy for me. Once you once you kind of see them, it's not about the design. It's just once you see them, you're familiar with them, and you're almost like, "Cool, I'm expecting." But back then, I was, I was freaked out about that. And you mentioned it. You know, my other little favorite moment of the show: the opening credits, <laughs> because it's it's Ramajawadi's music. It's it's that opening sequence, which is now iconic. And how dare anyone, if you skip intro on HBO Max, if you're watching, how dare you skip that? I mean, come on. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, because again, I'm I'm not sure. I've never, I've, I've heard the books, but not read them. And then that opening, I'm like, what am I watching? And then boom, into this great music, into this world. And I'm already, I'm like, what is all the things that I'm looking at? It's, you can't over, that's, that's where the, where the, where the world first saw it. And it's so big. Um. Yeah. Going on here. Um, uh, oh, I, uh, uh, Ned. I love Ned and Robert talking, and and, and Ned says uh, the Targaryens are gone, which now we know has a lot of weight. But Robert say not all of them. And on that, we cut to Danny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are throw cuts. Like, yeah. That's so well done because you just you need those points where it's yeah. like you just talked about you know. And and I love it's it's I don't you don't want to be those people, but it's like we know he says talking about Rhaegar. I kill yes. him every night in my sleep. Yes. And it's like, anybody who's not aware of that's like, well, that sounds serious. Who's that? What's happening? Yeah. What's going on? And then they're all gone. And then you cut too, and you get a whole new family, the Targaryens. And yeah, it's just such a, and Mark Addy just nails it. You know, it's, that, it's, it's, that feeling of clearly he lost something yeah. that it doesn't look like he cares about much, but yeah. You believe that he cared about Liana. Yeah, and and, and yeah, and, and and again with Ned saying it, and we know what he's hiding, you know his purpose and all that stuff. I and I, I, this is I never want to dig too deep, but I just love and watching it this time, and now having all eight seasons again, love it or hate it, love it or hate some of the decisions or where it ends up. That's it's a different conversation, but I love watching this now when the Targaryens are gone and we're like Ned, the good guy, his buddy, Robert, and uh, those Targaryens don't seem good. It seems ominous. Seems like not good for this land. And you cut to Danny, who we're going to be rooting for for years, but in the end wasn't good for this land or some decisions, which is way more complicated than just a general statement that I just said. I just like, I, to me that now has more meaning as I look at it now, like, Oh, wow. Just nope. And I feel like that was absolutely what Martin's intention was. Uh, you know, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, you mentioned some of my favorite little moments that the days are long, the lives are too short. I love the King's Arrival from the King's Road, majestic music. Um, yeah. And and Rachel, uh, you know me, you know me well. Uh, it would be I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Jora so- <laughs> showing up to be Jora. Gotta <laughs> love that. I knew it. 
<laughs> Any other favorite little moments? And we'll start wrapping up our fun breakdown here of the winner's coming pilot. I'll just give a shout out to Dire Wolves because I love them. And in particular, John Finding Ghosts gets me right here every time. Yeah. So very, very grateful he made it through. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> who do you think is the star of the episode? You can hand out little sub awards, but who do you think is the, the one to take it home in this episode? Um, it's It would be be very easy to see say Tyrion I mean Peter Dinklage from the get-go understood that character Mm -hmm. and bad wig aside really you know nailed it and he has basically the big line of the episode to John and you know you really get the feeling Mm -hmm. of a very complicated interesting very important character right from the get-go and I think that that's what you want in a pilot Mm -hmm. um but my favorite part about the pilot is it's twofold because it's Ned and Robert's relationship. I think Sean Bean and Mark Addy knock it out of the park from the opening your fat line Mm -hmm. to everything in the crypts, you know, um, the way that they talk to each other, you just feel the years of friendship behind it. You feel the loyalty to each other. You feel how they've gone in different directions, but they're sort of reunited in the fact that their father figure is is dead, Mm -hmm. that they do understand the positives, but also the faults of each other. I mean, Robert's actually pretty self-aware, you know, in terms of he's not very good at this. I got all this advice from John Aaron. I didn't listen to it. (laughs) And he's very aware of that as his best friend. Um, And, and that connection through Liana is just so poignant. Um, And I think both of those actors embodied, not just their respective characters, but that relationship together, because it is so integral to, Mm -hmm. you know, the dominoes that are about to fall in terms of the plot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I just, every time I watch it, I think both of yeah. them just know that. This is uh, this is not a contest. You and I are not competing for points here, but you're right. You won that round because that's the answer to me. Sean Bean and Mark Addy, stars of the episode. And I look at Sean Bean and I go, he has to sell being the lead of this show, regardless of what we know happens. It's happening nine episodes. He's, he's on the poster. He is Sean Bean. He is Bear. He's 006. He's a lot of these things we know. And just the way we have been trained to watch things, we're like, oh, it's it's his story. Even though... What you said earlier is presented right from the start. Legacy, passing things on. The next, it's, it's right there in front of us. But we are trained. But he has to sell that to a worldwide audience, many not familiar with this. And he has to live up to the expectations. I look at him in this episode and I go, yeah, I think he nailed it. And Robert Addy, uh, Mark Addy as Robert, I think, right there with him. Great stuff. Uh, as we wrap up, Rachel, your favorite quote of this episode is? Oh, boy. <sighs> Can I just cop out and say that it's the Tyrion one, which now that I'm scrolling through my notes, I can't find it. You're talking about the the, the main theme, the big one? Yeah. Never forget what you were. The rest of the world will not wear like armor. It can never be used to hurt you. Against you. And it's yeah. so telling because in some ways it can be. It's not a bulletproof comment. Yeah. There are ways that it's used against them and, yeah. and hurts them greatly. But it still speaks to, I think, what we talked about being the largest ide- largest theme being identity um, and the journeys that they'll all go on trying to find their identities, fine tune those identities and right. and be OK with those identities, even if maybe they didn't at the beginning. Um, and it, I did so much, you know, you, you yeah. put that in the middle of a diagram and everything shoots off of that for me in terms of the show. And he delivers it perfectly. Um, and the fact that it's to John 
means everything um, as two of the main characters. So um, I'll go with the obvious choice. Uh, no, I think it's the, the, the obvious answer is the, is the answer. I would say the man who passes the sentence should swing the sword has uh, has uh, has its own legacy, and people love that, like we talked about. And you you brought some excellent uh, stuff behind that line. I think it's great. But yeah, Tyrion, that's the one that stands out, and it's and and it's. It's quoted or uh, sort like me, sort of quoted. I have to write these down because I'm so bad with quotes. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I think it is. I think it's the heart of this show, uh, heart of this episode, which fuels the heart of the show and the, yeah. the pursuit. And what you said, Mar- George R. R. Martin and Outsiders, it's big with him, and and that that doesn't stop. All right, we did it. It's a supersized edition. We also wanted to talk a lot about context up top. Uh, going forward, I always want to, you know, not take too much of the audience's time to dive in here, but a supersized uh, episode of Rachel. I'm so glad you were here. I could not have done this episode without you. Uh, and uh, you're such a key part to uh, just uh, talking Game of Thrones over here in Castle Talk. So we definitely going to have you back as often as, as possible. Um, but I want to let people know what you're doing, where they can follow you. And I say that normally in the past, I know you've been like, yeah, you know, I'm a, just a really super talented editor. I just love movies. But you are, as we mentioned earlier, the new co host of Schmodown backstage on the SEN uh, network or the, I guess yes. catch me yeah. there on Tuesdays from 1230 to 30 starting in two weeks the you know incomparable John Roca is is got two weeks left and then he'll be stepping down to focus on his own channel which is completely understandable yeah. but um, yeah, yeah I've been eager to still be a part of the Schmodown even though I don't compete um, and I would never ever be a manager my hat's off to you sir that is not a job for me it's, uh, you kind of to it too <laughs> it's not it's not a job for me either rachel <laughs> but, uh, but i feel like being a, a commentator somebody who gets to yeah. talk about the matches and analyze them and and hopefully pass on you know uh whatever knowledge i gained from being a competitor yeah. for as long as i was well, so look if you approach it with even just 10 percent of what you brought to this episode and would have always brought to the game of thrones discussions uh, backstage, uh, John Roca is a great broadcaster and, and Schmodown pundit. Ben Bateman still there, going to be great. But I think you're going to help take it to new levels. I'm excited for you to do that. Uh, excited for everyone over there. So uh, for those out there watching and listening, thank you again. If you're listening to the podcast, you want to go to the YouTube, you can check it out. You can see our faces while we're talking about this. It is a, a podcast being captured by video on my YouTube channel. You can go to KenAppsock.com for all the other things I do, uh, including my book, Why We Love Star Wars. If you uh, like, uh, if you never really heard me before, do you like to dive into the themes? We do that over on Force Center with Star Wars. Me and Joseph Scrimshaw Jennifer Landa. Check uh, me out there. That is it for this week, everybody. The rewatch continues next week with The King's Road, and we'll meet you on it. Bye.